Welcome to the Folsom Frenzy Podcast. My name's Jake. I'm here with Chase, Sam, and Sirius. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the Oregon State loss. See, so you went down 19 to 26, and then also talk about Arizona in our preview. So with that, let's open it up. What are you guys' thoughts on that game versus Oregon State? I, I think, think Sam everyone... owes us the start. He owes <laughs> us the start after uh, his shenanigans at the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I made a, I made a big, very big wager, possibly on my life during the game. Um, <laughs> I tweeted out saying that I would drink one drink for every sack that the Colorado offensive line gave up. And I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. They only gave up four sacks during the game. Um, the, the main problem was the financial viability of this endeavor due to the price of beer being $15 in the stadium per uh, drink, which for my salary is not feasible to have really more than three or four. So if, 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 if it was a UCLA like performance there, um, I would have been bankrupted um, by full Sam's field. Venmo will be dropped in the description <laughs> of this yeah. episode and it's, on Twitter. Yeah. And it's also crazy to think you can get what two pitchers at the downer for the equivalent of one beer at the <laughs> yeah. Folsom Field. Yeah, so I I made my endowment to the university, but they will not be building me any statues, even though they. Sam, should I saw the Fat Albert too. Yeah, the Fat Albert was the last one. I'm I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad it was four. Five would have been tough. Oh man, well. On that side of things, it really could have been worse. Oregon State came into that game, I think, number 12 in the country in sacks. And CU is, of course, dead last and sacks given up. So all things considered, <laughs> I mean, Shadur still got beat up. Uh, that was really rough to watch from, from our angle. There were multiple times, like on third downs, where he'd just get destroyed and barely be able to get the ball off, even to, to throw an incompletion. And then he would just be limping off. One thing that was really disturbing, though, is watching him limping off multiple times all on his own. I don't understand why or how a team can let that happen. I mean, Preach. when you're when one of your when one of your leaders, like he literally has the L on his jersey, right? I mean, he's he's a leader. Coach's son, maybe that's why. I don't know. Um, but seriously, like pick up your guy. Pick up, pick him up. Like he's getting beat up. And frankly, if you're the offensive line, it's your fault. You guys are doing it. No, you're not playing well. Come on, help your guy out. I didn't like that. So from from my vantage point, like I saw that happen way too many times, and it was disturbing. Like guys, this guy's very clearly injured. He's barely wa- so. Coach Prime during his press conference today, I think he said, "There's a reason why he looks like he's walking like me." <laughs> <laughs> he's getting beat up out there. So I, I, that's, if if I'm disappointed with one thing, the offensive line, it's that we already know what we have with them, but be there for your teammate guys. That's rough. I didn't like that at all. 100% agree. And I think, you know, there was less sacks than we probably expected. And I think it's because Shador is finally starting to get the ball out faster. So that was nice to see, you know, if there's a silver lining of this game, it's, you got to find one somewhere. The, you know, the ball was getting out faster, um, maybe out of necessity, uh, before Jake absolutely goes on his rampage about the lack of running game, I do want to remind everyone that Oregon State is a really good football team. And we knew that coming in. I think we all predicted this to be a loss at the beginning of the season, or almost everyone yeah. did. Not you, right? Because we predicted every home win. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, generally, this is a, a really good team that other than a, you know, at the time, it seemed like a good loss at Wazoo. Turns out maybe not that good of a loss. They lost at Arizona. Uh, we'll talk about Arizona kind of at the end of this podcast, but Arizona is really, really good. And, you know, I'm going to keep screaming it because 
no one believes it, but that's a good team, four and two in conference, six and three overall. So Oregon State, you know, came in number 12 team in the country. They're a good team. So it's it's not like we were getting blown out by a, a nobody. But anyway, Jake, do you think they could have run the offense any any other ways? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that that transition, Chase. Yeah, I mean the big storyline of of that game was Pat Shermer taking over as play calling duties from Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis was obviously still on the field and he was giving the plays to the offense, but it was Pat Shermer up in the box calling the plays. And going into it, it was uh I was excited to see what Pat Shermer was going to do with this offense. It was going to be a real litmus test to see how involved Coach Prime was in the offensive play calling, in my opinion. Because if we didn't see very many changes, I think Coach Prime is really having a large say in the offense. Um It'll be interesting too going forward because it sounds like they are de- designing and developing new plays. I think Coach Prime mentioned that in his presser today on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, let me just cut to it. It is ridiculous how little they run the ball, and it it's not it's not Sean Lewis. I mean, Sean Lewis is partially at blame, right? Totally, he's calling plays. He was before this game, and Pat Shermer is also to blame because he didn't call enough runs. But I think Coach Prime has a larger hand in this offense than we thought, which really baffles me because I was looking back at Jackson State stats, and it's not like Jackson State didn't run the ball. So I'm, you know, Coach Prime is saying it's the offensive line, or I guess he didn't say that directly, sorry. But I think he's afraid to run the ball because the offensive line is bad. But if you look at the stats, stats don't lie. We'll just look at the Oregon State game really quick. But Wilkerson averaged 4.3 yards per carry, Hankerson averaged four yards per carry. That is not a bad run average. That is, that's great. If you're averaging above four yards per carry, that's great. Dylan Edwards was the only one that didn't show up and show out, and he averaged 1.2 yards per carry, which I think CU fans are kind of on the same page with Dylan Edwards, and it's you don't run him between the tackles. He's more of a screen guy. You get him some space. You run him on the outside, and really your savior on Wilkerson is going to be your lead back. I do not know why they don't run the ball. It, it puts more pressure on Shadur, both from a, um, like the defensive ends blitzing him uh, along with other outside linebackers, but then also puts pressure on him to perform and get first downs. And it drives me nuts that they don't run the ball because Shadur gets stacked on first down. Now it's first and fifth or second and 15. And coach, like, that's way worse than second and nine if they get a one yard rush. So it drives me nuts. I'll, I'll pass the baton off just because, uh, I think Sam will have something to say on this. Um, but yeah, it drives me nuts. And they keep doing the same things and they just need to run the football. Yeah. I mean, from, from coming from a Broncos fan perspective, um, when we heard that Pat Shermer was going to be calling the plays, I was not excited at all. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And this was it. This is exactly how Pat Shermer runs his offense and it doesn't work. There was a moment of me that I was thinking maybe he can make it work in the college game. Maybe it's different than the NFL. But this is a Pat Shermer offense. This is what it does. And I think if you look at the running stats, it shows that they can't run the ball. I think if you look at Sylvia and Wilkinson, he has four carries for 17 yards, but his long carry was eight. So outside of that, he had three rushes for nine yards. That's not good. Dylan Edwards, five carries for six yards. Like they had as a team, like counting the sacks, 19 carries for negative seven yards. Like, if you are getting like it's just because you don't have the offensive line to run the ball, so you can't. Like if you run it on first down, it's first, second, and nine. 
you're not going to run it again on second and nine because then it's going to be third and eight, and then you're going to get sacked. Like, they can't get big runs on first down. The long run was eight yards. They didn't have a run longer than eight yards, and their second longest run was five yards. Like, when they try to run the ball early, they can't do it, and you can't just keep running the ball up the middle for two yards every time and then putting yourself in third and long. But you also have Pat Shermer, who does not call any innovative down-the-field passing plays at all. Their offense was the worst it's been all year. It was miles worse than any Sean Lewis performance we've seen all year. He said maybe Oregon. Like, they should, they had three points until garbage time. And it was like, I was sitting with Soraya's, and we were watching the game. And it was like, we're like, we can't tell if this is this year's team or last year's offense. Like, it was almost identical. And I think it's a lot down to Pat Shermer. And this is the worry I had when they hired Pat Shermer is this guy is terrible at his job and we've seen him do it in the professional level. And he's just doing the same stuff. as at C. So here's the counterpoint to that, which is in the fourth quarter down three touchdowns. They're the best offense in the country. So to me, you can look at that and say, yeah, the other team isn't isn't trying anymore. They're giving up these touchdowns. It happened against USC. It happened against UCLA to some extent. It happened now against Oregon State. That is definitely a clear pattern. But what I see with that is when the team, the opposition is no longer sending pressure because they don't need to anymore, up three touchdowns, CU's offense can operate. And... I guess I was agreeing with the first part of what you said for sure that the offensive line is ridiculously bad. And I do think that some of those average, um, those rushing averages are, are very misleading about how bad the running game really is. I think if they did run the ball on three straight downs, there is an extremely low probability that they would get first downs versus someone like Oregon state, a team like Oregon state that can run the ball on three straight downs and continuously move the ball because they have great push on their offensive line. So I definitely agree with you there. But in terms of Pat Shermer, it, it, it just goes back to the old, it's not even an adage, it's just a truism, which is if, if your quarterback has no time to do anything, how are you going to do anything? It's, they're, I mean, seriously, snap the ball. I, this, I'm like a broken record. I feel like I've said this on, so many different podcasts in the past snap the ball and the defensive line is all over him. And sadly, that's even how Shadur's offensive line looked at Jackson in that celebration bowl last year, right? This is just, this is just the reality of the type of pressure that he's facing, but now it's even more extreme because he's not only facing FBS. Now he's facing potentially NFL competition on, on the defensive line of some of these like top 25, top 15 pack 12 teams. So when you see these teams take off some of the pressure in the fourth quarter and you see this offense just humming and moving the ball to a great extent, it's somewhat indicative of what this offense could look like if they didn't face such a devastating pass rush on every down. And if you look, so there are definitely some underlying metrics that are ugly with this team, but from the bigger picture, like on the defensive side, the defense is slowly starting to figure it out. They're turnover, like they're big time turnover machines. Offense is not capitalized off of the turnovers, which is a big problem. But imagine if they had any sort of blocking whatsoever, 
how much more creative you could be with the with the offense, utilize some of the weapons that you have. I mean, Prime says this all the time. I tend to kind of agree that th- there are a couple players away here from turning from a, a bottom of the Pac-12 type team to a very competitive Big 12 team. So maybe I'm maybe I'm like being falsely optimistic about this, but I do think that it's a trend now. And it does show some some of the underlying, like the, the extent to which some of the underlying problems have an influence on overall success. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, like the the late, the, the best offenses down three touchdowns, it's just like empty stats for me. Like, it's like, sorry, you know, it's like Kyle Orton time. It's like if you're a Broncos fan listening to this podcast, Kyle Orton would always come back in the fourth quarter when the game's a blowout and score a couple touchdowns, throw a couple hundred yards. Then you look back, you're like, oh, Look, he threw for 300 yards and two touchdowns and they almost won. But Sam, the past CU teams never did that though. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm not, I'm I'm holding like it is true. I think this is something we need to talk about later is that they're not getting blown out by these great teams on the scoreboard. They're getting physically dominated, but on the scoreboard it's not a three or four touchdown game, which I think is a huge step in the direction that we want to see. Um something we should definitely talk about more. Um but it's still hard to see like like you just need to figure out a way to get that off of the production in time that matters. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that we're close to winning some of these games. I'm just saying that there's potentially an underlying trend here that could indicate how bad the offensive line performance is really put, pulling us down and how much better it could be if if it was even marginally better. Jake, you got any thoughts? Well, am I the only one that's concerned about them not running the ball enough? Like, Sam, you mentioned the the stats just pulling up the yearly stats, Dylan Edwards is averaging 4.3 yards per carry. Hankerson, 4.2. And then McCaskill, when he was in, 4.2. I think that I it's think that those mind-boggling are false. to me that they, 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 they don't it, try it, to run it, the ball. You have to see when those stats. runs come. Yeah. Like, is there, like, like, if you watch the team, I don't think I've ever watched them said they need to keep running it because they, when they run it, they don't. it's not successful when it matters. If you run Look for at the seven first year, drive. The first you, drive in the Oregon State game, they got little you know, small runs, little screens in space, and they got third and three instead of third and 10 or third and 12. It drives me nuts when they pass because then it's a third and 10 or third and 15 because Shador sacked 50% of the time. If you run the ball, even if you don't run it successfully, you're looking at a third and six, third and hey, four. Steph, or sorry, Jake, that first drive, they ran the ball once and it was for a one-yard carry for Dylan Edwards. <laughs> so I'm not okay. sure what you remember. I would want them to run the ball, but they can't. <laughs> they, they yeah, can't I think run they the did ball. Little bubble screens there. I thought they ran it at least. And then they fumbled the ball three plays, four yards. So on the second drive, Dylan ran for two yards, and that was it. Uh, it was a, that was a three and out slash fumble. And then the next, um, then that was okay. That was all passing there, but they did gain at least some positive yards with a Xavier Weaver catch before finally just bowing out to and another. Like, haven't you guys heard the saying of like, you got to keep the defense honest. So a run for one yard isn't a waste. You're still keeping the defense honest. You can next play call. You can do a play action pass and the defense isn't going to know that you're going to throw the ball necessarily. I don't totally know, agree. The, you... the problem is they almost, I, am I the only one know... that's thinking this year? Let's hear your thoughts. They almost always do know that you're going to throw the ball because when we're getting one yard on the first carry, right? Like, you're not even keeping them honest because they know that you're going to, you're, you're going to have to throw. I think my bigger concern. So to an extent, I agree with you, Jake, I think there have been times where 
the running game is really working and then we abandon it and it just, it doesn't make sense. I would like to see them run the ball more. And if not only because I think our running back room is really, really talented and being completely wasted. And it's hard to imagine these guys are not going to transfer out. Right. But what I don't understand is why we're always starting the game with Dylan Edwards. I know he's special. I know he's quick, but I would love to see some of the bigger guys, you know, I think McCaskill's still hurt, but Wilkerson and Hankerson McCaskill's red shirting red shirt. That's right. Um, you know, get some carries where maybe you can punch through for three or four yards. I think Dylan Edwards needs to be a, a, a passing back almost exclusively, um, at least right now until he can get, get bigger. And you got to remember he's, he's young, right? He's, he's like literally, I think 19 years old or 18 years old. So yeah. Um, Cavasio smoke. Like that was a guy we really talked about a lot in the off season and he's done like, he has got very few opportunities. And when he's gotten the ball, he hasn't like really taken those opportunities in stride. And, so and that's what's great. And you're also doing this running back by committee thing, right? So like the most carries is Edwards with five, but otherwise Wilkerson four, Hankerson two. I just, it's hard for me to to see a running back, like really getting it going, especially with this O-line. And to your point, Sam, this O-line is not dominating anyone anywhere, right? It's not like they're dominating the run and just really bad in pass protection. They are bad everywhere. And I mean, you can, you honestly can't even tell when they're run blocking because it still looks like pass protection because they're getting blown off the line. Like there are times where if you only looked at the line, you would think it was a passing play on a, on a run. It's, it's, it's sick. But, and, and the other problem is like, you can't even really run screens because the, it's, it's, there's no difference. They're just running through the line regardless. Right. So you have to punish a really overly aggressive defensive line, either by running the ball or playing with screens. Right. And we, we try the screens, but they, you know, they still don't work because you got to at least chip the guy, right? Like we have guys completely missing blocking assignments. Like we talked about last week. And until they can get that figured out, it I mean, it's not going to get better. And I, I also think, you know, everyone's talking about this recruit that we might get, um, you know, the five-star kid. But we, we need so much more help on the O-line. And, and it's got to come from the portal. Like, it cannot come from recruiting. It's got to come from the portal. And I don't know how realistic that is. And I don't know how much of an upgrade we're going to see. But, boy, I tell you, I mean, and we knew we were going to be be thin at line at the beginning of the season, right? But turns out, you know, we didn't have any even depth on the first first team. So, uh, really, really rough. I don't know, Sreyas. Yeah, yeah. It's well, like really getting hamstrung. Like, Go ahead. What do you do to counter a blitz? You run a draw play, and you can only run a draw if you have a good offensive line or a screen, right? Sorry, I just had to add that, Sreyas. Go for it. No, no, you're 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 not wrong. I I actually I very much agree with you. I think we all kind of agree. Like it it behooves is is you know Coach Prime's sarcastic response today to a reporter like, oh, so. Are, are you going to try to run the ball? And he's like, we're, we're trying to run the ball, you know? And so maybe, maybe to your point, yeah, maybe, maybe they abandoned it too soon or something of that nature, but you can just see, you can see the direction that the offensive line is being pushed immediately on the snap, right? You can tell just visually without even data, you can tell visually who's winning the line of scrimmage. Like in any given football game, you can tell. And we have not won the line of scrimmage against any of the teams that we've played this year, even CSU. CSU actually dominated us at the line of scrimmage, if we're being mm-hmm. honest. Even ASU. ASU has a notoriously bad uh, trench situation. And even that was not – it was not clear uh, who, is, who is winning the line of scrimmage. So with that extent, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world where you're not completely hamstrung by – a very, very critical unit that completely changes the way that you even think. It's it's hard at this point 
to run any kind of offense. And we saw the same kind of thing happen under Shiverini a few years ago, back in 2017, 2018. So, straight, I was actually about to mention that. I was about to mention Shiverini because I think he would actually be a better coordinator for this team, like this makeup team, than any coordinator, you know, either Sean Lewis or Schumer. Like, I think those bubble screens that he was trying to run with that previous team, he didn't have the the wide receiver playmakers that could like really make you pay with a, with a quick move. Right. And, and so ironically, I'd like to see them do more of those bubble screens from like, I think Shiverini might've succeeded. And by the way, a shout out to him. He, I think went undefeated in the, in the California um, community college league. So good, good for him getting that head coaching opportunity. But um, I don't know. I, I find myself like wishing we had the Shiverini offense with these players right now. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but. Yeah, I'm wishing right. for the Brian Lindgren office offense. Well, unfortunately we got to watch that. It just was not. <laughs> See, it's amazing what the Brian Lindgren offense can do with dominant offensive linemen, right? That, that if, if anything else, that's what shows you the, okay. I think I said this on Twitter at some point last week, we've had some really good offensive coordinators at CU in the last 15 years. We had Mark Helfrich, who's a little bit of a fraud, but he still went to Oregon and he was very successful there under Chip Kelly. We had Eric Bieniemy, who's an alum, obviously, and ran arguably the worst offense I've ever seen, ever, at any level. <laughs> and now he's a multiple-time Super Bowl winner in the NFL, and now he gets his opportunity with the Commanders. And then we've had Lindgren, who's gone on to have very good success at Oregon State. And Shiverini, well, well, remains to be seen, but he did have quite a bit of success when he was the co-offensive coordinator uh, or when, when he was the wide receivers coach when they brought him over from Texas Tech. And they started running some of those concepts early on in the 2016 season. And when it, when, you, when it comes down to it, CU, when they were at their best, they were producing these corn-fed, monstrous offensive linemen yep. year in and year out. And pound. we have had individual talent at the offensive line position. That 2012 team with Eric Bieniemy had David Bakhtiari and Daniel Bunyer to like one extreme, like pro bowler, one of the highest paid offensive linemen for his injuries in Bakhtiari. And then Munyer, who had a solid pro career in the NFL and they were still abysmal. It just shows you, that it's a collective effort, right? You need to have good linemen across the whole line and they all need to be hitting their assignments and doing their job. Another thing that came up recently was that press conference in 2016 where Philip Lindsay brought his whole offensive line to the press conference uh, after he went off for 200-something yards against ASU. That's the type of stuff that we need here again. And until we get that back, it's hard to imagine this offense continuing to progress. So it's, it's just, it needs to get better. It has to. Yeah. I have a, I have a quick stat um, to share with everyone about the running game. This is from sports reference. This is a, all the players, this is a ranking of yards per carry based on players that have a minimum of 6.25 attempts per game and have played in 75% of their games played. So there's 24 players on the list. The bottom four are all quarterbacks. So we remember in college football, sacks are taken into play for rushing yards. So we can kind of throw those out. So there's like 20 players that are running backs. The Colorado running backs are ranked 15 and 16 
in yards per attempt in the conference of 12 teams. Which is <laughs> horrendous. Horrendous. So when we say that yards per carry is good, it, it is bad. Like four might be good for the pros, but it is bad for college football. Like all the uh, most of the other Pac-12 teams, I think only Stanford and er, Stanford and Washington State have um, running backs that are either not they either don't qualify for this or are worse. Um, but every other school has at least one rusher above it or multiple rushers. So we need we need our running backs to be averaging six yards a carry or even seven yards a carry to really dominate the offense dominate the running game. Because if you if you're just getting four a carry, it doesn't you can't you can't build a running game around that. Let's uh let's keep it talking about the offense here just because we're on the topic. Sreyas, I know you had some thoughts on this offense in terms of their fourth quarter play. You want to kind of share your thoughts on, on how they've been looking in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I kind of touched on it already, Jake. It, that was the comment about um how over the course of several different games, we've seen that when the when the defense stops pre- applying pressure, they start scoring. And it shows you what our offense could be in the future when we actually have even competent blocking on the offensive line. That was the only comment that I had, but it, we could definitely pivot the conversation now towards uh, coaching or the the or whatever else we had. Well, really quickly, let's talk defense. That was not a bad. It's it's like a Jekyll and Hyde team, right? In the beginning of the season, we were like, "Oh my god, this defense is horrible," but maybe the offense can you know compensate. And all of a sudden, the defense is like clearly, in my opinion, at least, the strength of this team the last few weeks. And part of that, huge shout out to Shiloh Sanders for having a, a you know big targeting sponsored ejection last week, sponsored by Sam. Um, and then coming back and still like laying the wood, forcing fumbles. They've been, you know, honestly, we've been winning the turnover margin, I, to my knowledge, in the last few games because – we're not exactly, you know, throwing the ball away or, or or fumbling. It's just we're just so miserably incompetent in moving the ball down the field, right? But the defense has done a good job of trying to put the offense in a position to win games, at least this week and the week before. Um, you know, so I, I think they at least deserve a shout-out there. And Travis yeah. has played a lot better um, defensively as well since the bye, but we talked about that a little bit last week. Yeah, the defense has definitely been keeping them in the last couple of games. Um, without the, I think without the defense – the last two games could have been complete blowouts and huge embarrassments for CU. Um, yeah, lots of timely turnovers. Kind of reminded me some turnovers of, I believe it was 2018. We played at Washington um, and we stayed in, CU stayed in that game for a really long time to the defense. I think they had one of those fumbles through the end zone that they hit out for a, for a touchback in that game against Washington. And that's what you need to be when you're a college defense. You can give up. You can give up tons of yards. Yards does not matter in college football. It matters getting timely turnovers and timely stops, which this defense has been doing in the last couple of weeks. And it makes it doubly as frustrating because we, the Jekyll and Hyde thing that we talked about earlier, that they can't, I don't think they put it together for a full game yet. And I don't know if they'll be able to put it together this year for a full game of great offense and great defense. Um, maybe the Nebraska game was the closest we've seen. Um, but it gives me hope that there are the pieces there to have a full team that can really compete with some of the best teams in their new conference next year. It's certainly a great equalizer, right? I don't know if I totally agree that the yards given up don't matter. I think that that's a pretty massive indicator of 
which team is dominating and which team has the best opportunity to win. I think I'd mentioned on a past podcast, the stats of war uh, net success rates kind of indicating who should be winning game and who shouldn't be, but turnover is certainly a great equalizer. And the fact that this team, this deep defense has found uh, has a nose for getting, getting the ball, uh, whether it's from fumbles or from, from interceptions that bodes very, very well for the future. And I think that a lot of their issues with the net success rate type of item is, again, the trench. It's been very rare, if at all, the season where that defensive line has consistently gotten pressure on the opposing quarterback. So this is just beating a dead horse at this point. But our trench play, if it, if our trench play gets better next year, you're going to see such a shockingly drastic improvement, especially with a lot of the returning pieces that we have. Yeah, I think we lose Xavier Weaver. Um, Hopefully Shadur decides to come back. I think he needs it. I think he has a better opportunity to get drafted higher if he comes back. Um, But then we're replacing those, you know, Xavier and the handful of other scenes like Cavassier Smoke. uh, Shiloh's a senior too, right? I think Shiloh has another year. He does have one more year and uh, obviously Travis has another year as well. So if we can just somehow get even competent trench play, we're, we're at least neutral on the trench and not giving up so much on every single snap. It's going to be, people are just going to be shocked at how much better this team is. It's so apparent that that's a major deficiency. I will say with trench play, I've been really impressed with Jordan Dominic as of late. I think he's really stepped up on this team. And uh, also related to that, I looked at Taylor Upshaw's stats. Don't look at them. It'll make you a little sad in terms of defensive line. But just to share a couple stats on the defense, that is just very fascinating. Is Colorado's fifth in the country for turnover margin at a plus 11 turnover margin. They're also fifth in the country for uh, forced turnovers with 18. On the flip side, they are second to last in yards per game given up as a defense. Take that as you will. Um, But yeah, I think, at least as of late, this defense has looked pretty impressive. Um, So we'll see if they can keep it up going into the end of the season. They certainly took the challenge of that tough second half against Stanford. Really quick, I was just curious, so I looked it up. We have eight seniors on this team, five of which play on the offensive line. So, you know, honestly, if we're going to lose some people uh, to graduation, I'm, I'm glad they're coming from there. Um, the only the only non-offensive line, Xavier Weaver, like you mentioned, Cavassier Smoke, and then uh, Javon Antonio are all seniors. Otherwise, it's just all O-linemen. So, you know, honestly, they'll have a chance to to lock and reload. But, um, man, it would be nice if they could have some sort of sweet ending at some point in this, this end of the season. And I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm just – I'm not seeing it. So not, not, not a lot of hope for a building block from there. But Yeah, it's tough. With yeah, I think that – there's one one last thing. I, I was trying to look for the stat. I couldn't find it. I'm not sure if they keep track of it. But the turnover margin stat is great. But I think CU has to be last in like points off of turnovers. Like you, they have all these great turnovers, and they. Ne- I can't remember the last time they scored like a touchdown after one of them. Maybe sometimes they get field goals off of the ones that they get close to the end zone. But you, those those are like momentum killers. Like Folsom will go crazy. They get the fumble. And then, like, Shador fumbles it right back. 
after the Oregon State fumble. Like it just kills you to not get points off of those, especially early in the game. And when you're like a double, when you're an underdog at home, that you can really like get those early points and kind of unsettle the other team. And they just throw away the opportunities so fast. Um, so yeah, they've really got to, the defense capitalizes on the turnover. Then you need to have the offense go out there and punch them in the mouth and put, put the ball in the end zone. Like Oregon state did at the end of the first half. And I think that's a perfect segue <laughs> oh <my laughs> to God. talk about clock management and coaching. Oh, my goodness. I don't think there's a single Oh, my person. goodness is an understatement. <laughs> there is not a single person that watches football to any level that saw that happen that wasn't ripping their hair out from that entire sequence. I So I was at the game. Sam was at the game. Um, so it took me a little bit before I could get on Twitter and really see what was being said. But when I did... It was all exactly as I expected. We could have run out the clock. We could have easily run out the clock. No question. But then choose to run complete three completely worthless plays that took like five seconds off the clock. Punt it, pinned inside your five-yard line, back to Oregon State, who immediately gets the ball in field goal range and then scores a touchdown on the first play to go up 14 to three, which turns out was the margin of victory. Seven points. Yeah. And it's, it's extremely frustrating. I mean, one the, I think the first play was ridiculous. Like it's, it, it was hard because the, the offense had done nothing, right? The off, if the offense had been scoring touchdown after touchdown, sure. Go ahead. Try to score more points. And the first play was terrible. The second play should have been caught. It hit Jimmy Horn right in the chest. And he just dropped the ball. And then you're kind of screwed because it's third and long and you have to run it. But it was ridiculous. It reminded me of the play call when we played Oregon State. Uh, I think it was the last time they played Oregon State at Folsom when Oregon State needed a field goal to tie it. And there's like 12 seconds left. And they let Oregon State run like a 20 yard out route and run out of bounds. Like it was and just. They kicked a 60 yard field goal it, to tie it. And they kicked a 60 yard field goal to tie it. I think CU ended up winning that game. But it was ridiculous. It was like, it was a Carl Durrell decision. Like it was a Carl Durrell. It was like I forgot. I thought we had gotten past those level of coaching miscues, but it's just something the coaching staff has to figure out and has to work through. But it was ridiculous. I think the fourth and two punt was outrageous in the first quarter. There's no reason why you should ever punt the ball on fourth and two in that field position. Um. Yeah, I, it was just, I, it I honestly didn't such, mind that. No, That's you can't a... punt that fourth and two. <laughs> I know I'm going to be you, the only guy that says that, you but can't you can't run the ball, right? So you like, just talk so about So don't that? run the ball. Throw You have Shador Sanders. Throw, you can throw a three-yard pass. Well, the, the stats Carl, are taking if you running want the ball into account. I don't know. I didn't mind you, it, but I'm not passionate about it. But at the time – Clock management, though, right? Jake, I know you, you hate the clock management too, right? Oh, yeah, dude. I was so pissed off at the end of the first half. It was unreal. Un- I mean – you got to take a step back and there's a lot of really bad coaching decisions and it, it falls on coach prime. He said after the game, quote, coach prime, they asked him, or I think it was not after the game. It was after the first half. They asked him about that clock management, about throwing the ball in the five yard line. And he's like, it's on me. He told the reporter that 
Like I, we're, I'm going to call it how it is. Coach Prime has made some very bad in-game coaching decisions as of late. And no, don't come after me, Coach Prime stands. I still think Coach Prime <laughs> is the answer for this program long-term, wholeheartedly. But it just, I want to pull my hair out with some of these coaching decisions. Another one is penalties. CU ranks one, let me, let's see, I had it up here. want to get it right here. CU is 130th in the FBS for penalties per game. It's a trend. That's a trend. Like, why are we committing so many penalties? It's bonkers. And the penalties are costing these guys games. You saw in the Stanford game how the penalties totally cost the Buffs that win. And this game, Oregon State, this whole bad play call giving up the touchdown, like you said, Serious, cost them a game. Coaching costs these guys two or more games. You know, it might have got them some wins as well. But just it's crazy. It pulls my hair out. Let's add on and talk about the the coin flips in some of those overtime. I mean, in those overtime games. Oh my goodness! Like that's I, I I I've heard the defense of it. I've heard the defense of it. Oh, you know, especially in the CSU games. Like, oh, you know, they're scoring on us anyways. But CSU should have gone for two, and if they did. They almost definitely would have gotten it, and their fans would have stormed our field, right, in that third game of the season. So Jay Norvell out, out poorly coached <laughs> or un, uh, undercoached Coach Prime there. But why in an over? I mean, in an overtime scenario, it's a gift to win the toss, so you know what your opposition has scored, so you can execute and win the game. So you got away. We got away with it during the CSU game. And that was because Jay Norvell, I, I bagged on Jay Norvell. In fact, frankly, like CSU fans are, have given him enough grief lately anyways, for some of the stuff that's gone there. So I'm not even going to, I'm not going to continue with that, but the Stanford game. Oh my goodness. You know what? Stanford made a mistake, not going for two there either. They, I guarantee they would have gotten it. They had all the momentum. And they deserve to win. They absolutely deserve to win that game based on how they played. And the, co- the those coaching decisions, along with the, the penalties, God, how? How can this can't continue, right? CU will eventually, I, I feel good that eventually they'll get this, this trench situation sorted out. But when they do, they cannot allow this type of clock, poor clock management that sunk. You know, we're talking about the Broncos. The Broncos and clock management was just hideous under Vic Fangio and Nathaniel Hackett, right? We saw so much of this. And now a lot of those same people are seeing this happen again in college football. It can't, it just can't. Like, it this just cannot continue. And I hope, I hope, and I believe that this will be corrected. I'm sure that there is another rhyme or reason to this. You know, Coach Prime has been around the game a lot longer than I have, right? And he's a Hall of Famer, and he's coached at multiple different levels and had great success at multiple different levels. So I have full faith that this will get corrected to some extent, or maybe they'll be so dominant that it doesn't matter at all in the future. So we can we can look forward to that. But for the time being, it's infuriating, and this cannot continue. And I think everyone agrees. Coach Prime even agrees. Yeah, but one thing Coach Prime does not have that you do have, Sreyas, is a degree in like a math and science field. 
And as someone who probably understands the math much better than I do, I can understand, I can understand how upset you are about it. Cause I don't really understand the math, but I have a humanities degree, so I don't need to. Um, but yeah. And the, the most problematic thing to me about the overtime thing going forward is that coach prime has defended his decision. He hasn't said that it was a bad decision. He said it was the right decision and we're going to do it again. And I was screaming at my TV when they played Stanford saying, why Stanford is going to go for two. I don't know why Stanford didn't go for two. Maybe they just knew they, they had freaking Randy Moss reincarnate on their team. that They're just going <laughs> to go and Moss Travis Hunter the entire game. Um, but he's going to do it again. And it's, he said it because he trusts his quarterback. You can trust your quarterback and get the ball second. Getting the ball second does not mean you don't trust your quarterback. It means you're being smart. And that really scares me going forward that that's the excuse is that he trusts Shador Sanders, not that he trusts that the game, that the, the, it's the right, it's the right statistical decision to go second. And it's going to yeah, cost maybe, you again. Maybe if you have a dominant it. defense, right? Maybe if you have a really dominant defense, you can get away with it and be like, we're going to punch him in the mouth. We're going to score first and good luck scoring on our defense. But obviously that's not the case right now. Yeah, I don't want to end this on a low note. So I think there is some optimism for both lines. Just looking at recruiting. Jordan Seaton, the number one offensive tackle, is at the game, this game. Also, there was another offensive tackle, four-star, that decommitted from Iowa today. And about an hour after his decommitment, Coach Prime offered him. So I think there's some optimism in terms of recruiting. Just looking at our current commits, we have some studs on the defensive line coming in as incoming freshmen. Yeah, Brandon Davis Swain, composite four star, ninety rating. Um, he also has offers from Miami, Notre Dame, Auburn, stud. You have a Montre Bradford, high three star, eighty eight grade on two four seven offers from Georgia Tech, Indiana, Texas A and M. Eric Brantley, high three star, eighty nine grade offers from Georgia Tech, Arkansas, and a bunch of other schools. And then Omar White, composite four star rating. Offers from Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Cincinnati, and others. So I think there is some optimism. Don't want to end it on a low note. I think he will get it together, as you also mentioned, Sreyas. But Sreyas. I just want to quickly uh, ruin the optimism of Jake and remind everyone that you cannot fix this offensive line with pure 18-year-old freshman kids. You You have to find them in the portal. And you have to find the right size bodies, you got to find people that can run your scheme. And if we're not going to be committed to the Sean Lewis scheme and we're dooming ourselves to the uh, Broncos 2018 scheme or whatever it is, uh, so be it. But you got to find the guys that fit fit the scheme. And, and right I, now we clearly don't have those guys. I agree. But finding them in the portal is so hard. You have to develop them, right? You have to get studs as freshmen and develop them. And that takes years. I agree there. Finding them in the portal is tricky. But Casey Roddick was in the portal and he's starting for number four FSU or whatever they're ranked. So they're out there. So we'll see. That one hurts because yeah. he transferred. <laughs> <laughs> he transferred before Prime even got here. And oh uh, my goodness, could we use him right now? With uh, with that ray of sunshine, we will go ahead and do the QLF management player of the game. Go to qelfmanagement.com to learn more. Uh, I am going to go ahead and say, because Topher's not here, we're just not doing a special teams player of the week uh, because special teams doesn't matter. Um, but if we were going to give one, I would probably give it to Mata because even our tried and true Mark Vassett um, had some some just okay punts. But um, on offense, I think we go ahead and give it to uh, 
I want to get I want to give it to Travis Hunter. Eight catches, ninety eight yards, and a touchdown. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was it was the best it, performance of the night. Xavier Weaver had probably the more clutch uh, catch in the game. Um, it has just been awesome all year. But that's, that's, on Wilkerson, Wilkerson had an eight yard run. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's talk about those rushing averages, Sam. Um, and on defense. I don't know. You guys can disagree with me on this, but I'm giving it to Shiloh Sanders, uh, forced fumble coming back after being suspended, um, playing hard, playing fast. Didn't really, in, to my to my memory, get cooked in in um, in the schemes or anything like that. And then Levanta Bentley, just another really good game, um, you know, overall. So the defense defense played pretty well. There's a lot of guys there that could have gotten it. Um, and it was cool to see. By the way, just one more quick thing: Cormani McLean got um, you know involved in the game a little bit as well. So hopefully he'll continue to be more involved and uh, stick around for next season. But can I take us slightly off topic and pile onto that? I think Shiloh is the MVP of the defense so far this year. Hot. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. Cause obviously Travis Hunter is the most athletically gifted man on that defense, but man, Shiloh has been balling out. Yeah. No question. Yeah. That huge pick six against CSU. Another moment thinking back on it, that kind of saved that game. Um, boy, this season is so close from being an absolute disaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like we're so close to talking about a one-win team right now. Yeah. So close because that TCU game, Travis Hunter had that absolutely incredible goal line pick. Uh Trevor Woods had that absolutely incredible goal line pick. Uh, and then CSU, um Shiloh's pick six. Yeah. yeah. And then ASU, ASU is the Mata kick. Yeah, they came back. Yeah, ASU came back, and they had they were they were about to they were about to give it to us because we would have gone to overtime. We already talked about what happens in overtime, so <laughs> we were so close, so close to just having an absolute. I mean, it's not a repeat of last year because last year was just completely hopeless. So we we've already displayed more fight and heart even if we continue to lose games from last year. But, you know, we have to credit these players for pulling out those wins because we can talk about what they didn't do, but you know what? They did. They started off 3-0. They beat our two biggest rivals. They won on the road. They and Hopefully, God, I, Arizona looks good, but I, that would be an amazing win to have. That would be such a good way to end the home schedule and such a good leave such a better taste in your mouth going into next season. So, gosh, hope it works out. But, yeah, um, <laughs> seconds from disaster, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk at the end of the season about that goalpost moving again on success like we did a couple weeks ago last time I was on. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the Arizona game coming up this weekend here in Boulder. Um, you know, I, I keep talking about it. No one believes me, but Arizona is a really good team. They are ranked now number 21 in the country, 6-3, and 4-2. and two. No one expected them to turn the, the team around as quickly as they have. Um, you know, really, really impressive job uh, by by uh, Co- Coach Fish, right, out there? Jed um, Fish, yep. Jed Fish. So um, over under 45 points in Boulder, uh, 10 and a half point underdogs. Colorado's coming in at home, by the way, on senior night um, to an Arizona football team. I got to be honest, um, I think this Arizona team is just really, really good. They went toe-to-toe with USC. They they were within a touchdown of Washington, uh, beat Wazoo handily. They beat Oregon State. They beat UCLA, all teams that have absolutely taken out on Colorado. 
Um, I think this Arizona team has it figured out. And I, I, I personally think it's going to get ugly. Um, they can beat you on the ground. They can beat you in the air. Um, they definitely have a more balanced, balanced offense and a, a, you know, overall pretty, pretty solid defense as well. So uh, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Um, my prediction, I'll, I'll just go ahead and give it because um, we're already running a little long on this episode. I, I, I think it's going to be, I, I think we'll probably have a better offensive showing than we have the last few weeks. Um, but I, I think Arizona takes this one. I'm going to say 35, 28 and a heartbreaker. Yeah. Arizona. You're, I don't think you're the only one saying that Arizona has been extremely impressive. They've had they're in all. So they've lost three games, right? One overtime loss to Mississippi state power five school. They're not, they're not the best team this year, but that's, that's tough. Like losing to a power five team. Um, and then they had an overtime loss to USC where they were basically had that game one and then just crazy things happened. And now the, the irony is that game looks like an upset for USC now because then Arizona hang hung super tough with Washington and made everyone question whether Washington was actually bad. But as it turns out, um, no, no, Arizona is just that good. And they have just been so dominant the last few weeks. And with where we're at, right, man, I want this one so bad. I, I, this is the one that I really, really want right now. Just to end the season, end the home season on a positive note, like we have in, in other seasons, feeling good. You have an opportunity. If you win on Saturday, you have an opportunity against Washington State. Not saying that we will, but Washington State has been free falling for the last few weeks. They've looked terrible. They, I think they won, they lost 10 to 7 against Stanford. Now, our loss against Stanford was a totally different animal, in my opinion, because that was just you're up huge and then you just completely turned off the gas and then just could not turn it back on in time. But when you only manage seven points, none in the second half against Stanford, something something's broke. So if you find some way, and I and I, you know, last time I said this, we I said you got to find a way to beat Stanford, and we we found a way to lose. But boy, this would mean a lot. This one would mean so much for the season if you could find a way to pull it off, and even more if you go to Washington State and find a way to win that one. I mean, you're going to see CU fans victory lapping like we just won the national championship if we get bowl eligible this year. It's 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 a tough. It's one of the best rivalries in sports, right? CU and bull eligibility. Um, but I don't, I kind of don't think we're going to win. Arizona is just too tough. Um, yeah, I, I probably have it somewhere in the 35 21 range. Um, another one where maybe we're down three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and score one, uh, when Arizona decides they don't want to rush Taylor Upshaw <laughs> to make us look bad. Um, but God, I want it. I want this one so bad. But fingers crossed. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Yeah, I would like to counter that. It can't be a rivalry when bowl eligibility always beats CU's ass. Just like <laughs> CU can't be a rival of Utah because they always beat us. Um, yeah, it's you true. know, I was <laughs> I I was halfway through the door into your guys' CU therapy session until Chase said the name of the Arizona coach. What a stupid name for a coach. Fish? Like the thing you eat and you can catch? And guess who loves to catch fish on this team? Oh. Coach Prime. 
Whoa. Travis Hunter. These guys are going to be chomping at the bit to go out there, cast their reels, and bring in a big, juicy fish. And that's what we're going to see this weekend. All right. We're going to beat this team. We're going to keep our 100% field storm, which I'm not sure if any team who's won five, three games at home has a 100% field storm ratio. We might set the record because we're going to storm the field if we beat Arizona. Because they're a ranked team, oh, yeah. no one is gonna. No, yep, we're gonna we're gonna storm the field, and it's gonna be great. Um, but yeah, it's just like the reason we beat Arizona State was because their coach liked train, and we just couldn't possibly lose to a team that has a coach that enjoys listening to that kind of music. And we don't, we're not gonna lose to a team with a stupid, stupid name like Jed Fish, in a state that kills fish so well that we have a lot of good ways. To kill fish and keep them and i guess if you release them that's okay but that's what we do here color we're gonna fish and we're gonna pick them out of the water and we're gonna cook them we're gonna eat them for dinner i think it's gonna be cu 28 arizona 21. with a preview right. like that oh <laughs> my god if anyone's still here after that expert analysis i'll go ahead and pick them up. <laughs> um the fish out of fish can't so survive at that altitude i am gonna go Man, similar. Like I, I think this is gonna be a close game, but I think CU is gonna fall short. I'm gonna go twenty-seven to thirty-one. I think it's gonna be a close game. I think CU misses an extra point. And I think Montana Lamonius Craig is gonna score a touchdown at the end somewhere because that's just classic CU. I actually looked up his stats, and he's only the sixth leading receiver on Arizona, which is very surprising because I thought that dude was a stud. Um, so got some sure good. They got some there. good guys over there, though. Um, yeah. So maybe it's not super surprising. All right. Yeah, and I, I do want to say uh, I did last episode predict that Ralphie would run past the 50-yard line, which, by the way, she did. So very proud of Ralphie Six for running past the 50-yard line on homecoming. Um, my prediction is that she makes it to the opposing 40-yard line this game. Uh, so, you know, who knows? Who knows? Doubt Ralphie Six at your own risk. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but with that, we'll go ahead and close out. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if you could give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Give us a review on Spotify. If you love the fish jokes, uh, go ahead and give us five stars. Um, if you're not a huge fan of fish jokes, uh, please don't don't keep give it a review. <laughs> keep it keep it to yourself. <laughs> keep keep that to yourself. Uh, but that skill buffs, and uh, here's to a win at the last game of Folsom against Arizona. Go buffs! Go buffs!